I'm going to ask that you take your Bibles, turn to Mark. Mark chapter 10. This passage that, uh, that we're going to read together here in just a minute. Uh, It'll be very familiar to you. It is one that if you have been around church for very long, you have heard it. Uh, probably you have heard it multiple times in a short amount of time. Uh, but that's all fine and good because we believe that this is the living Word of God and that it can, uh, we can read the same passage and it can speak to us in many different ways. And that is what uh, my hope and my prayer has been this week as I've prepared uh, for this. I want to... Uh, just kind of catch you up. I am uh, the chaplain there at uh, Fire District 1, which is there in Logan Sport. Uh, we do some stuff throughout the parish um, when uh, critical incidents uh, happen. And uh, most of my work, honestly, is done uh, within the fire service. So it's dealing with the firemen and, and those associated with the first responder side of things. A lot of my responsibility uh, deals with them, not necessarily with the public. That does uh, take place from time to time. But most of what I do as far as the chaplaincy role uh, deals with the guys uh, that are actually uh, working in the different scenes and in the different uh, agencies that respond uh, to, to the tragedies that we see uh, throughout our parish and the state and all of that sort of stuff. We've, uh, uh, that, that was kind of unheard of, uh, except for the last few years, uh, to have a chaplaincy program, uh, but that is gaining traction all across the nation, uh, but more importantly here uh, in our area. It is a much-needed uh, ministry, and I'm very thankful that God has led us and called us to that because 99% of the time when we are paged out, um, so I do the chaplaincy stuff. Uh, most of you uh, know that, that the, uh, I guess the, the fire department in Logan Sport would not uh, be able to... Uh, I guess provide the needs of a full-time chaplaincy position. So uh, throughout the last few years um, leading up to uh, being full-time with the fire department, I began getting different certifications and that sort of stuff. So I am a firefighter. Uh, I do have my EMT. Uh, and so uh, I do all of that side of things too, but the chaplaincy stuff uh, is on the back side of that. And so I deal with uh, everybody from Logan Sport to the other side of Mansfield. I also work in Keechai and Stonewall. Uh, so I'm all throughout the parish uh, when it comes to what I do. But the one thing that is the same, whether you're in Logan Sport, Stanley, uh, Mansfield, Stonewall, Stonewall, Keechai, is that tragedy happens. Tragedy happens. It doesn't matter where you are. We all have experienced that. We have all uh, seen that in our lives. You don't have to uh, leave the news on very long to see uh, where tragedy has stricken uh, daily uh, in various ways uh, throughout our area, throughout our nation. Uh, but that is something that is a given. It's going to happen. We live in a fallen world. Uh, the uh, consequences of some of our sinfulness in part is the tragedies and the, the things that we see uh, carrying out. When God created the earth right pre-Genesis two, uh, three, sorry, uh, before the fall, right? That was a perfect world. There wasn't tragedy. There wasn't pain. There wasn't all of those things. But we live in a post-Genesis 3 world, meaning we live after the fall. And uh, and because of that, these things are going to happen. That's, that's a part of uh, the world that we live in. This morning, I want us to look at not necessarily a physical... Uh, 
uh, tragedy that has taken place, but I want us to look at a spiritual tragedy that takes place. Now, when we read this story, we see the story of this rich young ruler, right? We're, we're all familiar with that story. Uh, most of us could probably tell it pretty close uh, to the way Scripture does, just because we've been in church most of our lives. Um, but I want, I want us to realize a few things as we read through this passage. Uh, I, I want us to realize that the, at the right time, the right person asked the right question yet the wrong decision was still made. Let me say that again. The right person asked the right question of the right person, and the right answer was given, yet the wrong decision was made. Turn to Mark chapter 10. If if you're already there, we're going to jump down to verse 17. We're going to read through the next few verses. It says this, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up... This is talking about Jesus. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all, your, all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Verse 22. But at these words he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. I want us to look at this morning that our, our text tells us a few things about this man. Uh, the first thing it says he, he was young, right? So uh, in the... Uh, in the modern church, uh, that's something that we're all striving to get, right? We're all striving to attract young people. This man was that. In verse 22, we see that he was rich, right? That's another thing that helps the church keep going, right? Especially if he's young, if he's rich, he can pay tithes, he can do all of these things. So it is uh, a key uh, person that you would like to have a part of your church. However, when we see the details that are laid out in this passage, although he was young, although he had his life together seemingly, although he was rich, although he had all of the possessions, he had gotten used to the dark. Right? Just like the song the kids sang a while ago. We fill our lives with a lot of worldly things. And even though we may be striving to be godly people, we get used to the dark. Not only do we get used to it, we tend to like it, right? We have that sin nature in us that draws us into those things. This man, this young ruler, he was no different. Hopefully the difference between him and you is that you have accepted Christ. Hopefully the difference between him and you is you have made uh, a decision to follow Christ with everything that we have, everything that we own. Uh, there's nothing that we withhold from him. Uh, you cannot claim him Lord and hold something back from him. You understand that, right? He cannot be Lord of your life if you don't surrender yourself to Him. If you don't surrender yourself to Him, He he is not Lord. If He's not Lord, He's not Savior. Let's go back to our passage. Verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You see, there was a dilemma, a spiritual dilemma for this young man. 
He understood that Jesus had been going through the countryside. He had been doing a lot of miracles. He had been doing a lot of things that had set himself apart from every other good teacher that had come along. He had set himself apart from every other faith-based teacher or faith-based leader of that day and time. He was doing these miracles. He was carrying out all of these different things. And so this young man, the man who had everything at the drop of his, or at the end of his fingertips, he could literally do whatever he wanted to. He could afford whatever he wanted to. Yet he knew there was something missing. He knew there was something that he was not being fulfilled in. And he thought maybe, just maybe, it was something spiritual. So he ran out to meet this man Jesus. He met, he met Jesus. He bowed before him. He paid homage to, to this great teacher in his mind by kneeling before him, showing that, that he was uh, there to listen and to learn and to uh, sit under the teaching of this man Jesus. It, it signified that he viewed Jesus uh, as one who held great honor and, and dignity. However, sincerity alone is not enough to save the soul. Sincerity alone is not enough to save the soul. You see, this young man, although he thought all of these things about Jesus, although he he knelt down before him, although he, he called him good teacher, you see, he had a faulty understanding of what salvation truly is. You see, in this young man's mind, he wanted to do salvation. What he had not realized is it would be done. It was already done. You see, for us, we can look back on the story and it's very easy. It's kind of like old Peter, right? It's very easy for us to cast doubt or, or to point the blame at Peter for uh, sinking when he stepped out on the water, right? Because we can look back and, and, you know, we would never take our eyes off of Jesus or stray away from the things that Jesus would want us to do. So we can look back and we can kind of say, oh, Peter, he didn't really have his act together, right? Because we would never do anything like that, right? I, I couldn't. <laughs> I can't say that. But this young man, he had a faulty understanding of salvation. He thought his salvation was something that he could do, something that he could buy, something that he could provide for himself. Yet he did not realize that the only salvation that he could have is through Jesus Christ alone. And he missed that. Not only did he have a faulty understanding of salvation, he had a faulty understanding of himself. I just alluded that, alluded to that um, in my asking, could we point our fingers at Paul or Peter and say how sorry of a man he was that he took his eyes off Jesus? Many times we view, our, view ourselves through a lofty lens that does not exist. Many times. I'm guilty of that. Uh, I would venture out and say probably most of us in the room, if not all of us, have that we have a faulty understanding of actually who we are and who he is you see this young this rich young ruler thought because of his possessions thought of the things that that he had done in his life thought of all the maybe charitable events or donations that he had made that everything would be okay as you get into the passage and you read that, that he, he talks about, Master, I, I have kept every one of these commandments that you've done. Many of us can't even say that. This man could. He thought he, was, he would be self-reliant, that he could drum up his salvation within himself because he was putting his faith and his understanding in himself. 
But oh, what a tragedy that is. So he had a faulty understanding of salvation. He had a faulty understanding of himself. And he had a faulty understanding of the Savior. You see, when he referred to him as master, um, that, that kind of leads us astray in our modern language. Because when I think of master, I think of someone who rules over, someone who leads, someone who is the presiding person over whatever. He's the master uh, of... So if I'm the master of my house, then I would be the one over my house. Uh, if you are the master of something else, you, my mind goes to, okay, he is the person in charge of that. Um, however, when, when we read this, he's simply calling him a good teacher. Um, that, in fact, he refers to that just a little bit farther down in the passage. Um, you see, he didn't see him as the way, the truth, and the life. He saw him as a way, a truth, and a life. Right? There's a big, under, uh, uh, there's a big difference in that. Um, you see, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Talking about himself, Jesus. This rich young ruler, he viewed him as another teacher. Just someone who was uh, passing the word along. He did not view him. He did not understand the deity of who Jesus was. So he had a faulty understanding of salvation. He had a faulty understanding of himself. He had a faulty understanding of the Savior. But isn't it great that even when we are messed up in the head, right? Uh, if we're honest about it, it happens, right? Uh, even though when we get our, our, uh, our thoughts and ideas twisted, God lovingly guides us and God lovingly directs us back through His Word or through an individual to draw us back into Himself to get us back on the right path. And so not only do we see the, the desperation that this man was in, the, the, the desperation that he needed uh, something, he was longing for something that he had never been able to buy, never been able to provide for himself, never found within himself. We see that, that God opened his eyes and he provided the answer and we see a spiritual discovery in this man's life. Let's go back to our passage, verse 17. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth up. Verse 21. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, now, aren't, aren't you thankful that when Jesus looks at us, he has love for us? He has mercy and grace for us. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. You see, as this young man spoke with Jesus, the Lord revealed the truth to this young man in two very important areas. One, he learned of his spiritual condition. Right? This young man, God lovingly pointed out to him through Jesus his true spiritual condition. During this interview with Jesus, he was confronted with the reality of truly who he was. 
I just, uh, let me interject here. You can never be all that God wants you to be without God. You can never accomplish all the things that God has laid out for you to accomplish without God working through you. This rich young ruler, he had done all the things that, would, that could make you wealthy, that could make you like, that could make you rule over someone in that day and time. Yet, he was lost as a goose. He didn't have any hope. He was still longing for something. Out of everything he had bought, out of everything that he had spent his money on, out of all the relationships that he had formed in all of his life, there was still a yearning, a longing deep inside of him. And I think deep down inside he knew it could be found in this man Jesus. That's why he ran to him, right? I think he realized that he, he didn't get to that position by being dumb. All right, he, he didn't get to that position of being rich and young and, and a ruler and over lots of things. He didn't get in that position by, by not being able to tie his shoes, right? I mean, like he, he had to have some cognitive ability about himself to be able to get into the role that he was in. And I think deep down inside, he had already reasoned out in his mind, I can go to this man Jesus and he can almost put his stamp of approval on what I have done and who I am because I have done so good. And I have, I have been in all the right places. I've said all the right things. I've given to all the right things. Yet the issue was, he was still trusting in himself. And he can never be, never be all that God wanted him to be without God. In fact, we see in verse 22, he realized he was really poor, right? Because in the whole scheme of things, when, when, no matter how many worldly possessions we build up, no matter how many things we have uh, set back, no matter what type of legacy uh, we are leaving to our family members who are coming after us, all of the worldly things, all of the possessions, all of the uh, uh, money, all, all of those things are going to pass away. Right? Those things don't last for eternity. Right? We, we, uh, uh, Brother Richard, I, I've had the opportunity, I, I can't tell you how many uh, funerals I've preached. Uh, a number. I don't know. Um, but one of my favorite things to say in those moments if it's true, uh, is be thankful for the legacy that your loved one left in you, not necessarily to you. Um, you see, the things that we leave in those coming behind us are the things that matter. Sure, we, many of us are blessed beyond anything uh, we deserve. Um, many of us are blessed beyond anything that... Um, you know, we, we should have or do or whatever. Um, but it's the legacy you leave in those behind you that makes a difference. Not necessarily the legacy you leave to them. So when this man, he had put all of his trust, all of his faith in his worldly possessions, he'd gotten used to the dark. He enjoyed the worldly things of life. Yet this man Jesus, the one who I believe, again, he had reasoned in his heart to be able to either A, put his stamp of approval on him and say, hey man, you got everything going, you're good to go. Or um, tell him what he could do um, to, to attain his own salvation. Basically, that's what he was asking him. What, what more can I do to be saved? Well, 
That, that, that goes back to the faulty understanding of salvation, right? It goes back to the faulty understanding that there's nothing we can do. It's a gift that has been given to us. So through his interaction, through his discussion, through his interview, if you will, with Jesus, he discovered he was really poor. You see, money can buy a bed, but it can't buy sleep. <laughs> money can buy food, but it can't buy an appetite. Money can buy a house, but it can't buy a home. Money can buy a diamond, but it can't buy love. Money can buy a church pew, but it can't buy salvation. He had all these worldly things, yet he was longing for more. Not only did he discover he was really poor he discovered he was really in a pretty pitiful situation <laughs> you see he arrived to this man Jesus thinking in his mind you know I'm a moral man out of all these commandments that he knew out of all the law that he had kept he could check every one of them off done all of those since my youth He'd been in the right places. He had been around the right people. For crying out loud, he was standing at the feet of the Savior. <laughs> Yet he was in a pitiful, pitiful position. And, and he was still lacking. Look at verse 18 through 20. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good teacher? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not fraud. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20, And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go, sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. You see, even though he owned anything he wanted, he was a ruler over many things. In fact, he was still just really a prisoner to all of those things. What a pitiful, pitiful situation this man was in. Through this interaction, through this conversation that this rich young ruler was having with the Savior, Jesus, and the direction that Jesus was giving him. Um, there were some things that he learned about Jesus in that moment, in those moments. One, he discovered that Jesus was patient. He discovered that Jesus was patient. I am very thankful that Jesus is patient with us. I'm very thankful that Jesus is loving with us because there's a lot of times that I get things wrong. There's a lot of times that I'm, I'm just like this rich young ruler. I put my faith in my own abilities, my own skills, the things that I'm comfortable with, um, the things that don't take me out of my uh, comfort zone because, just because of that. I'm comfortable in that, right? It's something that I can do in and of myself. And, and in doing that, I, I'm, uh, I would hopefully never say it uh, verbally, but by my actions, I'm saying I can only get through this situation if I am self-sufficient and can provide the things that I need to get through this. I'm very thankful. Just like this rich young ruler found out that Jesus was patient. 
He also found out that Jesus was very plain. He didn't pull any punches. He didn't fluff him up. He didn't pat him on the back. He just simply told him. He didn't disagree that he had kept all of those commandments. He just said, there's one thing that you lack. It's very simple. There's one thing that you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. He merely tells the man, look, with all of his power, with all of his possessions, with all of his positions as a ruler, with all of his prestige, the only thing that mattered was a relationship with him. He also discovered that Jesus was very precise. He gave him a threefold command. And in so doing these three things that Jesus told him to do, then he would have eternal life. It's very plain. It's very simple. It's very precise. The first thing he tells him is, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor. Jesus was telling him, look, if you're going to truly surrender to me, you're going to have to get rid of all of these things that you've made God of your life for forever. By liquidating all of his possession, this would release him uh, from the bondage, the, the uh, slavery of his possessions, that, what, that which was his present God at that time. So he said, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. The second thing he says is take up your cross. Right? Come follow me. By taking up his cross, he was saying, you will willingly identify with who I am. You will willingly identify to my Lordship as Jesus Christ and his death to come and resurrection. And lastly, he told him to follow me. See, that is the crux of the matter. Follow me. You see, the young man, he was called to a place of decision. He was called to where he had to decide to whether, whether to leave his old life behind and go with Jesus or to turn away and continue on in his sinfulness. You see, Jesus' call is very precise. It was very precise for this young man. It's very precise in our own lives. He simply calls. The call is very much the same. He may not specifically tell you to liquidate all your possessions. But I can guarantee you beyond a shadow of a doubt, He is calling you to turn away from the things that you have in your life that are your little G-gods. That may not be money. That may be a relationship. That might be uh, various other things. Very well may be possessions. But He tells us to forsake all others committing ourselves to Him. Take up that cross. Take up the cross of Jesus. Follow Him in the example that He led for us, left for us, and to follow Him with everything that we have. When you get to verse 22, the most tragic thing that could be said about anyone. But at these words, He was saddened, and He went away grieving. 
for he was one who owned much property. You see, this young man had all the right questions. He went to the right person. He was given the right answer. Yet he still made the wrong direction, uh, decision. See, in that moment, he chose darkness over light. He chose to continue down longing for something that I think even at that point he had realized that void in his life would never be filled with anything. It had not that thus far. It would not be in the days after that because he knew the only thing, I believe, the only thing that could fill that void was this relationship with Jesus. Yet, he had gotten so used to the dark that he would not walk into the light. You see, he had chosen defeat over liberty. He had chosen death over life. And when he went away, he went away walking step by step towards hell. I told you the message of Jesus is very precise. It is very clear and it is very plain. When we refuse to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, and Him alone, nothing more. He is all-sufficient. When we do not put our trust and our faith in Him, Scripture is very clear that we will spend an eternity separated from Him in that place that we know as hell. It was very clear. It's very precise. It's very plain. It's very simple to understand. I've had many people ask me, Brother Richard, you know, how could a loving God send somebody to hell? Well, He doesn't. <laughs> And their own choosing, they choose to go there. A loving God gives us the opportunity. A loving God woos us into Himself. A loving God has sent us the Holy Spirit to draw all men unto Himself. However, you have that choice. This rich young ruler had that choice. You say, well, Brother Timothy... Why in the world are you preaching this message to a Sunday morning crowd on November 29th at Mount Olivet? Um, that's a great evangelistic message. So why are you preaching that here this morning? Well, if I were to ask you who is the greatest preacher, modern preacher in our time, who has passed away now, who would you all say? Billy Graham. Yeah. I would agree 100% with that. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, preacher, the greatest in, uh, in my life that I've ever um, seen. He is quoted as saying, 90, 95% of church membership is lost. What are those reasons? I don't know. <laughs> is that even an accurate number? Lord, I hope not. <laughs> but what if? What if just 90%? If we had <laughs> if we had 100 people here this morning, I mean, you can do the math probably better than I can. If we had 100 people here, 90 people would be bound for hell. If we just did 90%. That's a staggering thought. It is my hope and my prayer that I don't know why the Lord placed this message on my heart. I don't know why uh, it's an evangelistic message. 
except for the fact God knew each and every one of us that would be here this morning. God knew our heart's desires. He knew um, the decisions we have made or have not made for Him. And He knew the message that He put on my heart to preach this morning. But now it comes to that point, just like it did for this young man, where we have to make a decision. As I mentioned earlier, you can't claim Him as Lord and Savior if He is not Lord. You can't claim Him as Savior if He is not Lord. Those two are not separated. Those are not two... uh, They are two different things, but uh, you can't have one without the other. So my question for us this morning is, what are the things in our lives, just like this rich young ruler, that we have elevated above God in our life? You say, well, Brother Tim, uh, maybe this message is for you. Well, (laughs) I can tell you with great certainty, there are areas in my life that from time to time I try to withhold from God. There are areas in my life that from time to time uh, I don't like to surrender to Him because I think I can handle it on my own. So is there conviction out of this message for me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do I have a relationship with Christ? Absolutely. I can say that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Do I fail? Do I mess up? Absolutely. (laughs) But maybe you are here this morning. And maybe you've been here in this church for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Maybe you've given to all the right things. Maybe you can answer all the right questions. Maybe you can ask all the right questions. Maybe you even know the right people to go to to get the right answer. Maybe you've even asked those questions. But maybe you've never made the decision to fully surrender and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the decision that we're faced with today. For the rich young ruler, it was to sell all of his possessions. It was to sell everything that God, or or that he had uh, accumulated in his life up until that point. It was to sell all of those things, take up the cross of Jesus with him, meaning follow him, go with him, identify with him. And if he did all of those things, then he would have eternal life. This morning, the call is the same. Again, you may have been in church. You may have had a godly family. You may have raised a godly family. But have you made God Lord of your life? Have you surrendered everything to Him? Have you laid everything down at the feet of Jesus and put all of your faith, all of your trust in Him? I'm a... I don't have my phone. Hey, will you hand me my phone? I want to read this one quote to you. I meant to put it. I meant to put it in my message, and it honestly slipped my mind. And I want to read this to you. Another great pastor and preacher. His name was J.I. Packer. He said this. There's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. 
When you truly know God, you have energy to serve Him, boldness to share Him, and contentment in Him. Let me read that again. There's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. When you truly know God, you have energy to serve Him, boldness to share Him, and contentment in Him. I hope and pray that we truly know God. And if we truly know God, it will be evidenced in us sharing Him, in us serving Him, and us leading others to Him. Let's pray.